Lord, all of us this morning have learnt new songs, but all of them are to declare your greatness, your goodness, your majesty and your love. And for that, we are so thankful. And Lord, now open our hearts to your word. Open our hearts to your spirit. And open our hearts to each other, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please take a seat. Is the drum box fun, Paul? It, it looks fun. Of all the instruments, we all are a little bit jealous of the drum box. Show of hands, who has ever been to New Zealand? Nice. Oh, me too. Um, back in the olden days, when you used to be able to travel internationally, I went to New Zealand, and one of the highlights one of the things I most look forward to doing, one of the things that if I hadn't have done it would have been devastated, was to bungee jump. <laughs> Show of hands, who's keen to come with me next time? All right. <laughs> Everyone's like, I've not put my hand up ever again in church. It was Ben Nevis Tower, which is a 134 meter drop for eight and a half seconds of free fall. Ah. Oh. And I, as I got closer to it, and as you start to read all the signs, and then you realize it's a very small bridge to walk to the middle of a valley where they have this pod set up that they then attach a giant elastic band to your legs and say, do not second guess this. When we hit one, you jump. Otherwise, you'll never jump. We hit one, and I jumped. Incredible. I've done it a couple of times. I'm keen to do some skydiving as well. It's just never quite worked into the schedule. But one day, I crave adventure. I crave doing things that are not the normality, that are not the everyday things, that are not the given things. That's why I've learnt to scuba dive. It's why I've learnt to slalom ski, water ski, to abseil, to rock climb, to run a marathon, to share my faith, to follow Jesus. Because I'm convinced that in the human condition, there is something in each of us that longs for adventure. It longs for the excitement of life, which doesn't necessarily equate to bungee jumping. Not saying you're all keen to do bungee jumping, but there's something in the human spirit that wants to feel the vitality and the essence of life itself. It's knitted into the human spirit. And the risk aversiveness of our society has slowly squeezed it out. We have allowed society to diminish life for us. I wonder how often we play it safe instead of wild. We play it careful instead of adventurous. We play it calm instead of exciting. But what concerns me the most, far beyond this, is if we've let those things impact the way our faith determines who we are. 
Has our faith become too safe, too comfortable, too risk-averse? That, that concerns me. I know it concerns you too. Have we allowed our church life to be reduced to showing up on a Sunday, to filling a roster, to being nice to people? That could be. It could be part of why the idea of us merging together feels so threatening, perhaps to some of you. Because our adventurous spirit has been tamed by this world, our faith should be more adventurous. Where are the stories that we should be sharing all the time of God doing miracles? I don't think God wants to do less miracles. I think our faith doesn't create opportunities for God to show people who God is. Where are the testimonies of God radically transforming someone's life from sinner to saved? Where are the moments when God interrupts our lives and speaks to us? Where are the revelations of us realizing God has spoken directly to my sin and my wickedness, my laziness, and he has addressed me? We need to live those stories so that we can tell those stories. And we're going to do that after we talk about it today. Last week, we looked at the miracle that began the early church. Where Peter and John are walking into the temple, there's a lame man who'd been there for, from birth, and Peter and John, they, he says, can you help? And they go, we should be able to all recite it, I won't put you under that pressure. Gold, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up. And he did, he got up and walked. And so to lead us into the next part of the story, I've invited Karen to help us and I'm going to interrupt you throughout the whole reading so don't be disarmed or dismayed it's part of the plan thanks Karen all right hang on I'm just gonna jump in already so so the all the all the big wigs of the Jewish church the Jewish synagogue came together. That was called the Sanhedrin. When you hear about Sanhedrin, it was the council of all councils. Now, to understand where the council was born out of, the Old Testament ends 400 years before the New Testament started. And those 400 years are considered years when God was silent. God didn't send a prophet, God didn't speak, God didn't do anything revelatory in his creation. He was, in a sense, absent from it. And the Jewish um, uh, rulers and leaders and priests got together and they found out why God was so silent. It was because of the wickedness of people. And so in response to that, they created the Sanhedrin that took the Jewish laws and extrapolated them into a whole host of of very smaller laws that everybody needed to follow in order to be right. And so the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the priests, the lawgivers, the law teachers took it on as their personal mission to ensure that everybody followed the law because that's how you were right with God. And if everybody was right with God all at the same time, then God's kingdom would come. They were raising the standards. All right, thanks, Karen. Uh, 
as you were. Annas, the high priest, was in it, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, by what name, do you do this? All right, all right. Now you know you're dangerous when people start asking you that question. When somebody asks you the question, by what power or in whose name did you do this, you know you've done something really significant. And especially that people are, are asking, that that's, that's not how we do things around here. By whose power did you do this? Who gave you permission? Whose authority enabled this? Now, they were talking about something incredible that had happened. What we spoke about last week, the miracle of Peter and John at the temple gate with the beggar. That's what they were talking about. By whose power or in whose name did you do this? Because everyone who was involved in that situation, from the disciples to everybody who knew that man who was in the temple, they knew they were in for an adventure. They knew that that is not how things happen around here, but that has happened. So what does that mean of us? What does that call us into? You see, it was daring for Peter and John to stop. And then it was daring for them to say, gold and silver I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. But it was super daring for them just to say, after all of that, we'll get up. They dared that their faith that they had in Christ was enough for God to move in this person's life. And God does. And everyone went, huh, wow, things are going to be a little bit different around here from now on. But what the Holy Spirit began in the life of this man that was healed, he's about to do in the life of the church. And we'll, we'll kick on with verse, not verse 8. Thanks, Karen. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you built is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You see, the Sanhedrin, they wanted order and control. The Jewish council wanted order and control, and the Holy Spirit wanted salvation and restoration. The Sanhedrin wanted to silence this disruptive power that was making them feel very uncomfortable. The Holy Spirit wanted to spread the work that had began in this man throughout the entire world. The Sanhedrin wanted to leash that power so they could control that power. And the Holy Spirit wanted every single person saved from that which held them back from knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And Peter, as he confronts the Sanhedrin, who are holding these values, he says, what's the issue? 
have you a problem with the kindness that was shown to this man? Now, if they had a problem with that, that would violate the Jewish law. So he's got them. He's got them. He says, because God healed this man and God's name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the reason behind every display of salvation. And we all of a sudden see these two sides really clearly. On one side, we have the Sanhedrin, control, power, things need to be comfortable. On the other side, we have the Holy Spirit, freedom, restoration, and salvation. Keep that in mind as we keep reading. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and the ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So God chooses for his work to sit just beyond our understanding. Those of you that say, I just don't understand how God did that or why God did that, that's exactly right. You're not meant to. If you knew, you could be God. And then what would God do with God's self? So God uses his miracles to sit just beyond our understanding. Now, the Sanhedrin, they knew that God was doing something. They didn't understand it, but they knew God was doing something. But they looked at these men, at Peter and John, that we would call, no, I won't say any of those things, as, as, as kind of, no, I won't say that either. Yeah, we're in church, right? Got to be careful. They were ordinary, unschooled men. There was nothing special about them at all. And for the Sanhedrin, these men do not deserve the privilege and the honour and the worthiness that is required for an act of God such as this. They were very upset. And when we hear that, we start to go, that, that reeks of insecurity, of bureaucracy and of hypocrisy. There's something wrong with that attitude toward what God is doing. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So the question I have is why do they care? Why is it such a big deal? Why do they want to control it? Why do they not want it spreading? See, at the heart of all these questions is the question of control. Control limits things to the comfort of those who have power. Control limits things to the comfortable level of those who have power. And God gives us power. It's called free will. We have the best. So we therefore have the ability to control what we allow God to do and what we don't allow God to do. And we do that based on our level of comfort. So we need to face a question this morning. Which camp do we sit in? Do we sit with the Sanhedrin? Do we sit with the Holy Spirit? And how do we work out where we are 
and how do we move toward where we want to be? So let me ask you a question. Would you be right now campaigning for the fullness of God to rampage throughout the entirety of Burley, uh, the Gold Coast and of Queensland that shakes up the way everything happens? Would that be number one priority in your heart? Or would you think about it as if God does some more things, that would be great. But he needs to work within what we're already doing and not muck up too much of my life. Where would you, where would you rest? What if God started doing things so radically that young families, I'm going to talk to you guys now, that it meant family life had to shift significantly. That life as you do it with your family couldn't exist as comfortably and as routine as it does anymore. Would you be stoked for a move of God? What about those of you that are employed? What if God moved so significantly that it made things not only awkward but difficult with your employer? Would you be thrilled for a move of God in that circumstance? What about for those of you that are retired? What if a move of God was so significant that your retirement couldn't be as comfortable or as nice or as filled with the things it currently is for you to be part of what God is doing? Would you be keen? What if God did something that required all of us to give more money to something or someone? Would we be, yes, come on God, do whatever you want? What if God started doing things in our church and in our society that were so significant and so miraculous and so amazing that people would then ask us what God is doing and if we told them, they would think about us differently and negatively. Would you be so thrilled for a move of God? Would you still be keen for the adventure that we all want? See, we can look at the Sanhedrin and we can judge them and say, Oh, they've got it so wrong. Do you not realize what was about to happen? But we're the same. <laughs> The kingdom we want to control, the kingdom of our lives, it looks different, but our hearts can be the same as those on the Sanhedrin. But Jesus, through the presence of his Holy Spirit, did things that disrupted control. Everything Jesus did disrupted control. Disrupted the control people wanted to have on their lives. Why? Because God wants to put his life into your life. God wants to share the fullness of his life with you. But the more you maintain control, the less God can be part of your life. The more control you relinquish, the more God can do in your life. But it comes at a risk, doesn't it? Right now we're all like, oh, there's a cost to this. On Tuesday morning, I went up North Burley Hill. It's a beautiful spot up there. If you've not been, you're forgiven. You should go. Incredible. You get to see all the way north to the Gold Coast, all the way south down to Burley and, and round to Coolangatta. 
And I went up there to do some filming, and so I did some filming, and when I was packing up, I turned round, and there's a bench there, and on the bench is a middle-aged guy sort of sitting down with his hands on his, his knees on his elbows and his hands in his head. And I felt a really clear, definite impression from the Holy Spirit talk to that man. And the first thought I had was, yes, let's go. And some of you were like, you thought, thought I'm more of a sinner, didn't you? You're right. My first impression wasn't, let's go. My first impression was, that could be awkward. Like, unknown story. Could be awkward. He might not speak English. Could be even more awkward. I've got other things to do. I've got, and as I'm pondering this in my mind, the, the, this idea struck me that when God calls us to do things, if we do not dare to do them, what right do we have to follow Jesus? That's not following Jesus. It was almost like God saying, I dare you. Go on, I dare you. And I'm like, all right, bring it on. And so I walked over to the man and I said, hey, mate, are you all right? And you know what he did? Nothing. Motionless. Like, oh, wow. See, God, it's awkward. I knew it would be awkward. It's awkward. And I kind of moved away thinking he's just seen me there and he thinks if he completely ignores me, I'll go away. So I'm going away and then God's like, you're not going away. So I said, hey, a bit louder. Hey, mate, are you all right? And again, no response. Like you, two times and I turn around and he says, not God, this guy says to me, oh, sorry, mate, didn't see you there. I was meditating. He had an earpiece in, that's why he couldn't hear me. I was meditating. Takes the earpiece out and I say, what, what, what are you meditating about? And we start talking about some mental health stuff. We talk, start talking about some of the struggles he's had and some of the things that this meditation is doing that's helping him. As he was talking about this, I'm just listening and kind of engaging. And then he stops and he says to me, are you a Christian? Busted. I said, um, I, said I am. Are you? And he said, no, I'm not. And then when we talked about churches that he'd been to, I invited him to come here. He talked about his agnostic spot response. And then the conversation kind of came to a natural close. And I, we shook hands, introduced ourselves and bid him farewell and grabbed my stuff and walked off. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God wanted that encounter to happen because of what God is doing in his life. And we got to talk about meditation. Then we got to talk about prayer. We got to talk about the way God works. And God did a work in his heart. I am convinced of it because I dared. I dared to move from where I was at toward that situation. We need to dare to follow Jesus regardless of how uncomfortable it is because the things we fear, they're myths. They don't exist. They're just things that we hold on to as reasons for us to keep control of what's happening. So let's get back to the Sanhedrin. Thanks, Karen. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all. So they needed to stay in control, right? Silence 
Control silences the expression of faith. Control silences the expression of faith. The reason you don't talk about your faith is because you want to have more of control of your life. But Peter and John, they're not having any of it. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Thanks, Karen. Top job. If daring to follow Jesus, daring to be obedient, daring to upset the status quo, daring to share our faith, daring to love the unlovable, daring to be different, isn't one of the things that we most value as a group of Christians, then there's something terribly wrong with our faith. But it hinges on that word that Peter and John offer. They say, but. It's all going one direction. They go, but. They, they got this really big but, right? Peter and John, but. We will not stand for it. The direction it's going, we're not going to go that direction. We dare to be with God. We dare to side with Jesus. We dare to rely on the Holy Spirit. The outcome is in God's hands, but the investment is in our hands. What God does with your investment, God does. It'd be wonderful and in his plan and probably just on the other side of our understanding. We are responsible for investing ourselves, for jumping in, for daring, for being part of the adventure. You see, if we invest ourselves in God's agenda, in God's disruption, in God's work in the world, job done. It's all God asks of us, be faithful. He causes us to be fruitful. God will do what he wants to do with that. You see, we each have to resist the Sanhedrins in our lives that say, no, 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 keep control. Don't risk, stay comfortable. They're in each of our lives and we have to resist them. We have to fight against our insatiable appetite for things to be in control. And it starts here today. It starts with us helping one another. So this morning... I would like to give you the opportunity to join in the adventure with me. Are you keen? Some nervous faces out there. I love it. I love it. In a moment, I want to encourage you to pray for the person next to you. You may know them really well. You may not know them at all. You may be a Christian. You may not be. It doesn't matter. I'm going to tell a story in just a moment to break all this open for you as we, as we close. But I want you to pray for the person next to you. And if you are sitting next to someone you're super familiar with and you feel called to move across the room to somebody else, I want you to dare to do that as well. And what you're going to do when we get there is to ask that person what they need prayer for and they will tell you whatever it is. And then you can pray for them and then it, swap, it swaps and they do it for you. And well, let me tell you another story as we, as we wrap up. On Sunday night, uh, last Sunday night, we had Village Church. And for those of you that were there, Hamish was coughing up a lung. 
But the problem was, I was preaching, Linda was leading worship, we, it was essential that we're both here. And so poor Haim, he had to sit in isolation and then had a face mask on. And he's been COVID tested, so we, he was clear. But he had a face mask on and he hates that face mask. He was completely miserable. But what was of greater concern was next day, Monday of this week, he was about to go on his first ever school excursion. It was to Dave Flay's uh, wildlife park and he was so excited and all his friends were going and Lyndall was going as a class helper but Hamish was getting sicker and sicker and this cough was getting worse and worse and we told him you're not going to be able to go tomorrow you're just not going to be able to go but come along to church because it's more important um, <coughs> so so after church, we get home, we're doing the thing, we put him to bed, and I feel a real strong sense to pray for him. Now, Haim, he's a little boy, so he loves the idea of prayer. He's not quite as focused as I'd like him to be in prayer, but he loves the idea of prayer. And so, so we, we prayed for him and then went out of his room, and then when he fell asleep, I went back into his room to pray. But I only had three words i could i when i was thinking to pray for him i only had three words and the three words were heal him jesus and it was like i'd pray that and i had nothing more to pray so i prayed that again and nothing more to pray so i prayed that again and so i just sat stood in his room praying for him just heal him jesus just heal him jesus as he's coughing and spluttering and spit everywhere he was asleep thankfully but for his sake but wasn't exactly the most sanitary experience went to bed woke up the next morning and before the kids come in because they usually bolt in about seven o'clock um lindell says to me did you um did you hear hamish last night and i went no did you and she said yes yep yeah about midnight oh man could i like thunder thunderous coughing she goes so i went in and um, settled him and then i prayed for him so I've been praying for him too. Anyway, as we finish that sentence, in rushes to the bedroom, full uniform, snot-free, bubbly little five-year-old Hamish. Let's go. And he's all good. And we're like, that, that's in, in that, wow. God, that you would, that you would do that. Now here's, here's the thing, right? Three words. There's nothing special or wow about those three words. I've never had any training to pray those three words. Anyone on the face of the planet can pray as simply as that. It's not the prayer, it's not the words of that prayer that change the world. The words aren't as important as our heart is to dare for Jesus. Jesus, I dare. I take up your dare right now i'm going to pray for someone and you may not have ever prayed for someone before you might be praying for someone who you have no idea and you just pray what you feel god puts on your heart it doesn't have to be long it can be short and just for clarities because we're all friends but some of us don't know each other when you say amen that'll be the signal for that prayer to then turn around and we're going to spend like a few minutes doing this. We're not going to spend a long time doing this, um, but we're going to then lead into our final hymn out of it. So when you hear the hymn start to happen, that'll be kind of the wrap up for, um, for, for uh, our praying for each other. All right. It means you've probably got to move.
probably got to stand up or turn at least. So let's, um, let's move into that space now. <laughs>